Good morning, ladies, and welcome. We're going to have a two-fold discussion this morning. We're going to talk about Parshas Bahar, and we're also going to speak about the Hela Galag Bimer, which is coming up. So we get uh, some basics. Now, I usually for Lag Bimer, we like to do just first the basics to say what, who was Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai's ladies. Sometimes we, uh, we you know, don't know the whole, the whole story, the whole idea that we're supposed to get out of Lag Bimer. Also want to remind you next week, please bring some form of Megillus Rus. We're going to do in-depth Megillus Rus for two weeks. I noticed a little too late that we usually did three weeks, but again, in confinement, I am not, my brain is not working like it, it normally would. So, um, but bring Megillus Rus to this table and keep the same uh, number, uh, um, the Zoom number and the whole thing, because we'll be doing the same thing, same time, same place, same wonderful hostess, Ripka Shafsa, who would Without her, we would not have this okay. beautiful class going. All right, let's first talk about Bresh right. Sahar. There's some very interesting. Okay, I just thought someone has to mute themselves, whoever it is. There is an interesting. Um, we have two like interesting questions. Precious Bahar, in case you don't remember, basically the is is where we highlight the mitzvah of Shemitah and Yovel and some other mitzvahs as well. In the middle of the whole thing of Shemitah is Onas Devarim, which is very interesting. Uh, and then it continues on with Shemitah, right in the middle of the whole narrative. Also, the question is asked, says, by Dabar Hashem al-Moshe, Bahar Sinai Lamor. Now, this is quite a few parshios after Matan Torah. And this is unique in that Parshas Bahar, we mentioned Har Sinai again, by the mitzvah of Shemitah. Why, particularly by Shemitah, do we stress Har Sinai? And what, you know, what, what does it have to do in the middle of Vayikra? Now, let's, to answer this question, Rabbi Moshe Feinstein, Zechman Levracha, tells us that it teaches us two basic principles. Number one, just to re- restate that not just the Aserah Sedibros were given on Har Sinai, but the whole Torah, really, in you know, however it was transmitted, was given at Har Sinai as well, including Shemitah, including everything. But why particularly Shemitah is being singled out? The whole Torah was heard at Har Sinai. The reason, says Reb Maisha, is he brings down from the Rambam in Hilchas Malachim, where the Rambam tells us, adjusting my screen here, okay, the Rambam tells us in Hilchas Malachim, an interesting fact about Mrs. Sheva Mrs. B'nai Noach. Before the Torah was given, B'nai Noach laws were transmitted from Noach to his sons, and everyone always says these are the mitzvahs that make a lot of sense. You know, they have courts, that you should honor your parents, that you shouldn't murder, you shouldn't steal. These kind of things made a lot of sense to humanity, and they observed them. Yet the Rambam says that whoever believes in Sheva Mitzvah B'nai Nayach because it makes sense does not necessarily get Olam Haba. He has to believe in Sheva Mitzvah B'nai Nayach because he believes in the Torah, he believes in Hashem, and he believes that those are stated in the Torah, even though he's a non-Jew. And then he could get Olam Haba. Why? Because he said, Rabbi Moshe explains that Anytime you take mitzvahs because they make sense to you, what you're in fact doing is you're introducing 
the possibility that people later will say, well, that doesn't make sense to me, or my gaiva or my taiva got in the way, and I don't want to keep these halachas. So if it's going to be based on human understanding, it doesn't remain. In fact, he said a lot of these people that were converted by Avram Avinu did not remain converts. A lot of people that were Noahides did not, you know, for the most part, a lot of the society we live in don't keep the Sheva Mitzvah Sene Nayach, even from their mind, unfortunately, if you think about it. Uh, the whole world, in fact, is condoning many things in different religions that are not, uh, that are not from the Sheva Mitzvah But the Jews have been faithful to their Torah. And the reason being is because it's not based on intellect. We do it because Hashem told us to, particularly by Shemitah. Shemitah is a mitzvah that really takes giborei koach, osei ritzono, the people that have tremendous superhuman efforts for one year to practice real bitachon on a day-to-day basis. Those farmers that really go, you know, and give up a whole parnasa in order to keep Shemitah. Guess what, folks? We have that opportunity right now. Many people are not doing proper parnasa. Uh, I'm not wishing on anybody it should be a whole year, but this is already like getting into the eight, eighth week. And um, we have the opportunity here, Shemitah, to, it's unbelievable. All the Parshas we've heard, we've always tried to find the connection with our life right now. And every single Parsha, we've had a link. It's unbelievable. Hashem again is speaking to us that here's a mitzvah that you have to have trust in Hashem, that, you know, that Hashem takes care of us with what we need. Shemitah in particular, not just a superhuman because of the mammoth effort to relinquish your ownership of a field or your fields or whatever, your crops for a year. Rabbi Shah says this is a very um, non-understood mitzvah. First of all, people could think stealing is okay in a way because for this year, your field is hefker. If you own an estric farm in Eretz Yisrael, estric orchard, all of a sudden somebody could take your estric and they own it equally to you. You You don't own the land for a year. So people could start thinking, well, what's ownership? It's nothing, which is not true. We believe in ownership. You're supposed to respect a person's property. Like right after Shemitah, the day after Shemitah, it's not your, it's not Hefker anymore. It's everyone's. I mean, everyone owns their own, you know, property. Another thing that could give, uh, you know, reason for misunderstanding is, um, you, and Yovel, it's a similar idea to Shemitah. It's 50 years if you bought land from somebody, it goes back after Yovel to the original owner. Now that also, again, makes your ownership of 49 years seem like meaningless, but yet the previous owner can't visit you until the 50th year when it's Hefker, when it's back his again. Some people confuse Shemitah, says Ramesha. They think the whole idea of Shemitah is to improve the land. Seven years, lay it fallow, and you'll see the land is going to be much more productive. It's, uh, there's been miracles. You've heard of, there was, a, I think, a kibbutz in Eretz Yisrael, Kamamius, that there was right near this kibbutz um, some kind of huge locust thing that occurred many years ago. And it, the locust passed over Kamamius, which was a Shomer Shemitah kibbutz, to teach us that when we, when we, um, when we decide to uh, relinquish our property and we give it all to Hashem for the year, and we don't lose out, but it's not necessarily because our land is better or we're improving the oats by not uh, farming them every seven years. It's really that we get rewarded for keeping this superhuman law. Now, interesting in this week's Parsha is the whole approach of the people questioning the whole Shemitah 
commandment. Let me just get the source here, and here we go. Okay, we're in Perakhaf Hey Pasakhaf Tachaf Aleph, and we're told, and if you're going to ask, or you'll say, what do we get in the seventh year? We won't plant, we won't gather our crops in. And I'm going to, I'm commanding my blessing to you on that sixth year. And you're going to have, you're going to have crops for three years. If you decide to say, what are we going to eat on the seventh year? You can, um, I will give you, um, I will give you enough abundance for three years. By the way, anyone can raise their hand or ask a question by, you know, you have to speak, but you can, you can give it in to Rick and I'm happy to ask, answer questions. And at the end, definitely anything anyone wants to say or ask, they can. So if there's any question what I'm saying or asking, please, uh, you know, feel free. Now, the, it says, if you say in the seventh year, what are we going to eat? I'll give you for the three years, I'll give you the crops. Which are the three years that I'm going to give you a bracha? It says, I'm going to give you a bracha for three years. So that means the bracha is according to seventh, eighth, and ninth, right? This is what the, the seemingly the Pusik is saying. Now, Rashi says that the, um, yeah, that's what the, that's what the bracha is. When you ask on the Shana Hashvi'is, you're going to be getting to the next three years crop. In other words, four years from keeping Shemitah. The Ramban does not agree with Rashi. The Ramban says, oh, excuse me, I made a mistake. I'm quoting the Ramban just now. Rashi says, Shana Shvi'is means you'll get the seventh, eighth, and ninth of Bracha. Fine. Ramban says, Vechi, okay, now I'm getting accused of it again. One second. Again, sorry. Okay, start from the beginning. Which year is this person asking the question? According to Rashi, if a person asks, um, if a person asks on the sixth year, what are we going to eat by entering the Shemitah year? Rashi says he will get his bracha for the seventh, eighth, and ninth. Now, what I did was preface the Ramban first. Ramban says, And if you ask, what are we going to eat on the seventh year? It's, you should scramble this verse. It's not supposed to be in its proper order. In other words, according to Rashi, if you ask on the sixth year, what will we eat? We're, we're going to be keeping Shemitah for a whole year. We're told, don't worry, you'll get for three years a bumper crop on the seventh, eighth, and it, you'll get, I'm sorry, you're going to get six, seventh, and eighth a bumper crop. Uh, Ramban is saying, you're going to ask on the seventh year, you'll get a bumper crop for seventh, eighth, and ninth. So it's either sixth, seventh, and eighth, or seventh, eighth, and ninth. Now, since Shemitah is in Tishrei, now, so what Ramban is saying here, that it doesn't make sense that you're asking this question on the sixth year. On the sixth year, you haven't suffered whatsoever. And even on the seventh year, everything you're eating on the seventh year has been a product 
of the sixth year. So you're not going to ask the question on the sixth year. You're going to ask the question on the seventh year when perhaps your storehouses have been depleted. So far, I hope everyone gets it. Please say yes. Raise your hand and you say yes. Okay, everyone gets it. We'll say again. According to Rashi, Rashi says if you're going to ask on the sixth year, what are we going to eat? Hashem will give you bracha three years. That's sixth, seventh, and eighth. Ramban says it can't make sense what Rashi's saying. Ramban says you're asking on the seventh year because you're still eating from the sixth year on the seventh year. You're not feeling the burn yet. You're not feeling the pain yet. You are instead saying, I, I what, what am I going to eat on the uh, what am I going to eat from now on? So you, it's the 7th, 8th, and ninth. you'll see a bracha. That's the difference. The clay yakar has a question on the Ramban. I saw this, by the way, where Mordechai Miller brings this down. The clay yakar has a, has a question on the Ramban. He, he says the following. If you're going to say that they're asking the question in the 7th year, if, and we're promised that you're going to have a 3-year blessing, Pustic says, you're going to see three years bracha. Why are you asking this question the seventh year? Don't you have the three years bracha already that Hashem promised you? What are you asking? the question? What does Ramban mean? So the Kleyakar says, you know what the Ramban means? And here comes the punchline. The punchline is the person, says the Kleyakar, who gets this great abundance, okay, this great abundance has not seen very much in productivity in the sixth year. Okay, so the um, he's not seeing productivity in this year, right? So the because he hasn't seen productivity, he's thinking that uh, I don't see how I'm going to live for the next several years. But it says later on, even Rashi says, it says later on in, in this parsha, it says, Vachaltam Lasova, you will eat fulfilled, and it says, even in your innards, says Rashi, you'll feel the bracha. So what's the bracha? The bracha, says the klayakar, is not that you're going to see huge storehouses piling up for three years' worth of crops. No. You are going to have enough to eat. Somehow, you're, you're going to feel satiated, sated. You're going to feel like you've had enough to eat for three years. You won't have to see great storehouses piling up. You're going to feel that bracha inside of you for three years. That's an amazing thought if you think about it. Like the, that, that the whole bracha, the big bracha of Shemitah, that your kid, the people are doing these huge, huge things of bitachon for one year, relinquishing all their work and saying, leaving it up to Hashem, and all they get is something that to the naked eye they don't see. They are not seeing that they're going to have these tremendous amount of crops. They're not... They just are going to have enough food, guaranteed, for three years, but it's not going to be visible, says the Klayakar, and says even Rashi, who believes in the sixth year, asking the question. The Sephorno takes a little different approach. The Sephorno, I'm not going to read it inside, but I, I looked it up, and the Sephorno says something very interesting. He says that, he says also, it's like a visual thing from the sixth year that uh, that a person a person applies themselves and they will definitely for three years not have any needs. He says, even if you ask, oh, and he says more. He says, the people that ask, the chisomru, if you're going to ask on the sixth year, what will we eat? That means you have less bitachon than the people that don't ask. It's only those who ask. 
Those who ask will have more of a visual. Those who don't ask will have less of a visual. How's that? That's the Sforno. Now we said Ramban and Kleyakar who are explaining it's not a visual. Sforno is saying it is a visual, but that visual is only for those who ask, only for those that are lacking bitachon, that need a visual demonstration. The people that don't ask are not going to see anything remarkable, but they will have enough to eat. That's what we're told. Is that really the reward for people that have such high levels of bitachon? And Ramar Miller brings two other cases which are similar to the one that we just mentioned from the Ramban and the Kleyakar, explaining that you don't have any visual for being a Baal Bitachan. We find in the whole idea of uh, the Mun, when the Yidin got the Mun, it says, Echad Hamarba the Echad Hamamit. There are going to be two people going out collecting Mun. Some people get more, some people get less. And you must know the story about all that. What happens is, um, Rashi says, Some people collected a lot of mun. Some people collected a little mun. When people went to their homes, they measured, what did we collect? That's what Rashi says. That when people collected the mun, they would go. The people that had more bitachon would just rarely leave their homes. They'd collect the little amount they needed for the day. And lo and behold, they were satisfied. The people that had less amuna was like, go out there and dig. And who knows what they would do. Bring out the tractor, hoard, think of the RRSPs, think of everything they had to collect for. And meanwhile, at the end of the day, they measured and found they all had the same. So the people that that were tzaddikim, that hardly did anything. All they get for their work is the same as all the people that worked hard. That's incredible. That's what a Baal gets in this world. He gets the same as everybody else. And the third example he brings down, tzaras. You know, there's a positive tzaras. There was a tzaras that could happen in somebody's house. And especially when the Yidden conquered Eretz Yisrael, he said, Eretz Kanan, Asher you go to Eretz Canaan. This is in Perakia Dalid, Pusik Lamed Dalid. We said, when you go to Eretz Canaan, I'm going to give you, uh, 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 you can have Taras in your house. And it was a hidden treasure that the Emorites, the Emorim, put into the walls of their houses. You'd knock down the walls, and lo and behold, you'd find a treasure. You'd have to destroy your home, but you'd find a treasure. Guess what? The Zohar HaKadosh on Dafnun Amad Bey says, from Mershavit Bar Yochai, says that when they knocked down those walls, what was the treasure they found? They found the amount that would allow them to build a brand new house. That's it. Al-Bitachan just gets an amount to build a brand new house. That's all you get for your Yamuna and Bitachan. So let's review since I messed it up in the beginning. So let's say Rashi, who says three years, Six, seventh, and eight. If you're going to ask, what are we going to eat on the on the you know the seventh year? Shem says three years. Ramban says no, it's mixed up. You 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 ha- you see food in the seventh year, so you're going to ask seventh, eighth, and ninth. You're going to get a bracha. But the Sephorno says if you ask, you're going to get a little bit more visually. 
If you don't ask, you're going to get less visually. You're going to get less visually. But it doesn't matter, says Clay Yocker, says on the Ramban, who says, why do you say three years when three years obviously is going to be a situation where in three years you will not see you see, you, you, why are you asking the question in the seventh year? You should have seen it already in the seventh year. The sixth year is the year you last planted. You should see a whole pile. He says, because Balbi Tuchen, and we gave three examples with the Mun and with the Tsaras and with Shemitah, is a real case where you don't necessarily see the fruits of your efforts. How could that be? How could that be? So an answer we could give is that a person really, bitachon has one main function that people confuse it with. People think it's true. People can see miracles of bitachon. You're bitachon in something. You're making Hashem have the opportunity. Hashem cannot do anything until you have bitachon. We've learned that many times, that this world is like a hide-and-seek game. Domad, dodi, litzvi, it says in Shir Hashirim, that a person has to give Hashem the chance. We're not supposed to believe in absolute miracles. So if we believe Hashem can do it, then Hashem can do it in natural means. We're minimizing it to a natural means, and then we're making it possible for it in the realm of possibility to happen. But Hashem does not want overt miracles. That's not how he runs his world. We're supposed to be demonstrating in our whole life. It's a day and night demonstration that's necessary. Now, we are supposed to know that it's really in your attitude. Balbitachan doesn't have to worry so much. He doesn't have to schwit so much. He doesn't have to be type A. He can realize, Hashem is going to take care of me. I'm taken care of. Like David HaMelech says, I am like a nursing baby to you, Hashem. One thing a nursing baby doesn't have is worry. It's something you get a little later in life, but worry is something a nursing baby does not have. He feels no matter, the main thing is wherever he is, Hashem is with him and or his mother is with him. He doesn't matter where he is, what he's doing, what's going on. He's being going to be taken care of. And we have this inner satisfaction. That's what we gain out of Bitochen. It's not, that's the biggest satisfaction. And, and, um, oh no, I forgot all these. <laughs> I have phones that could be ringing and everything else. I'm going to have to put them away. Now, so the, the, um, that's the biggest satisfaction we can get is that we have bitachon, that we know things will be taken care of, and that we don't have to work as hard. People are building silos. You know, they say about the mun, Ben Israel complained about food. So the mun came every day. But says Rabbi Feinstein, that if people wouldn't have complained about the mun, we would not have needed the mun. We wouldn't have needed to eat. Because we see by the clothing, people never complain about clothing. So, big damn low balsa lamb. Their clothing never wore out. They never did laundry. Can you imagine not having to do laundry? They didn't have to do laundry. Their clothing never wore out. All because that's the degree of bitachan that they felt. They, did, they had less work to do. There's less work to do in the physical realm for a bal bitachan who feels you don't have to kill yourself to necessarily. I mean, you have to put in your normal hishtadlis. But a person has more of a peace of mind with what they do. Ray Miller brings down an example in, in the Gemara of Yossi Haglili. Believe it or not, even Tanoim shared lives that we share. We think modern life is very difficult. Life has always been difficult. And Hashem gives each person exactly what they need. 
according to Rabbeinu Bachai and Parshas Meshpatim. Not only that, we asked for it in a former Gilgal before we were asked to come down to this world again. We were told, okay, uh, we choose this test to go through in this particular lifetime to get Olam Haba as a tikkun for something perhaps we did wrong last time. Anyways, Rav Yosef Lili had a very difficult wife. So much so, said Rav Lazar ben Azariah, his friend, the big Heilige, Heilige Tanayim, he said, you have to divorce her. Let's see, there was a time and a place for divorce. And uh, he, so, you know, it probably was that bad that he had to get divorced. He says, I don't have the means. Yosef Lili was so poor, did not have the means to support a wife. Blazer Ben Azariah did have the means, so he says, I'll pay for the ksuba. So he got divorced. Soon after, she marries the mayor of the town, which the Mephorshim say perhaps suggests that she was upset her husband didn't make enough parnasa. You know, it says, chitim When it talks about shalom in, uh, in the Halukas, it says, that when a person has enough to eat in the house, is more usually more shalom bias. Because the <clears throat> shalom bias comes, you know, when there's less to complain about. When things are fa- faced with stark realities, unfortunately, people blame other people for the situation in the home. And they don't realize our pronounce is dependent on Hashem, no matter how hard a person tries or doesn't try. And we have to look at it that way. Anyway, she remarried the mayor of the town, either for prestige or for the lack of money. And what a Hashem has the last laugh, and he became blind, and he had to go around collecting. And she had to go with him, you know, helping him walk. And they're going to every, knocked on every door for, for a handout. One street she didn't want to frequent was that of her ex-husband. And one time they were desperate. They had visited all the homes. And he said to her, is there an area we haven't gone yet? And he beat her until she admitted. See, that was that going on too in those days, which is incredible. But it still shows Mitos are Mitos. And every, no matter what the time we live in, we have to, even the time of the Tanayim, we have to be vigilant with our mitos. Any case, he beat her, and she, she eventually went back to that street, and when she went to her husband's house, and her ex-husband, and he t- took care of them, and he gave them even a place to stay, um, she said, I rather would be beaten outside than inside. His beating that, that, you know, in order for her not to go to this house, would have been more comfortable than having to endure seeing this person she could have been married to was so kind to her, and instead she had such a attitude that she got rid of such a saintly husband. So we, too, sometimes don't appreciate. The whole idea of bitachon is really an idea of appreciation. That uh, often we don't, we don't see the greatness in what we have. We don't feel the greatness in what we have. And the way for us to work on bitachon really is for us to work on our appreciating every single day and to develop a relationship with Hashem. You know, when a person wants to develop a relationship with anybody, they need to talk to the person frequently. They've had to go through things with this person. They've had to see demonstrations of this person's love for them. Who more than Hashem has demonstrated to us, he's, so to speak, pouring food down our throats. He's done so much for us since we're born, and yet we tend to just focus on the negative. And we, really, we should realize even that the things we go through are for Olam Haba. Victor Miller Zatzal in last week's Parsha tells us with uh, the Omer we were talking about, he says a, a Chiddush. We've mentioned many times different ideas, opinions of what the meaning is of counting up for the Omer versus counting down. He says something very different that I never heard before. 
And he says, counting up to the Omer, of course, if you're longing for Matan Torah, you should be counting down. That we know. But of course, we're counting all together because it's toward Matan Torah. There's a connection between Pesach, between our freedom and getting the Torah, which we long for. But what's this idea of why Badafka counting up? So he says something interesting. It had, it's called Sviras HaOmer. What's the Omer? The Omer was the first, second day, rather, of Pesach. They would take an Omer's worth, a, a certain a measurement of barley, and they would cut it down. And they would give, this was already Cholomite in Eretz Yisrael, and they would put this on the Mizbeach as a gratitude for the new crop in Eretz Yisrael. Right? That's why some people keep Yashem, because in Eretz Yisrael, you cannot eat of the new crop until the second day of Pesach. Whatever's harvested in the winter, Yashan, it's a derisa in Eretz Yisrael, and it's machlokas, chutzaretz, whether Yashan is, uh, some people say, since it's a shaila of, of, um, of derisa, that's why people are makpid on Yashan. Some people are not makpid. Hasidish world is not makpid at all. Some of the Sparsh world is very makpid, and much of the, of the, I know, the Lakewood world is very makpid on Yashan. But Yashan means that you're not going to consume that new crop until the second day of Pesach. Because first you have to bring a Thanksgiving offering to Hashem. Rabbi Miller says, why are we counting up? We're always looking back. It's counting the Omer. Al Sviras the Omer. Hashem, you gave me bread. You gave me food. That is what our great gratitude is that we're supposed to be thinking about until Shavuos. Food. And if people laugh, he says, and say, come on, food, that's all that's on your mind as a, as a redeemed slave. You're going towards Harsinai, and this is going to sustain you. Don't you need your Pirkei Avis? Of course you need your Pirkei Avis. Don't you need your working on yourself to, to get up to the Memtes, Shari Kedusha, to deserve the Torah? Don't you deserve to, to work hard on yourself? So says the, so says Rav Victor Miller, and I think I saw the same idea echoed in the Dark Muster, if I'm not mistaken. On, he says it under Tubishvat. He says, we say this, what's called the Halal Hagadol. You know, the long Halal we say in the Pesach Seder, and it's in Tehillim. It's, you know, Adil Hashem Kitav Kiyalam Chasin. It goes to hold, Legozer Yam Suf Ligzarim. And, you know, the whole thing. It's, it's all the things we ask, thank Hashem for, the, all the great miracles that we thank Hashem for. What is the climax? What's the last, you know, the thing we say, Hodil Hashem Kitov for? No sein lechem lechol basar kili olam chasto. After all, we kriyas yamsuf matan tyra shmira shabbos eretz yisrael. That's nothing. The last one is no sein lechem lechol basar kili olam chasto. That's incredible. That's the highest. But if you think about it, you know we have to ponder this sometimes. He said in Europe, people. Would, we take food for granted here in America, but in, in, in Europe, a man would come home and say to his wife, is there bread today? Is there bread for the meal today? If there wasn't, they wouldn't eat it. And they, if there was, they would eat it and cherish the bread. There's nothing else to eat. They would be happy with the bread. That's all they need, you know? <laughs> that, it, that's all they need. They don't need more than that. But at the same time, they cherished the whole idea that they had bread to eat. And we take it for granted. We see bread, what's bread? Ice cream, pizza. That's the American mentality. We have everything we want. And yes, yet we have a generation that never felt so, we have a feeling that we don't have enough. We don't have enough. First of all, look at bread. That's why they have such big brachas before, after, with bread and washing hands and everything. 
bread is 11 steps to make bread. Hilchashavis, 11 steps of Hilchashavis to produce a loaf of bread. It's incredible. You know, and it, it's this, it's dirty, filthy earth. They plant the seed and all the things that come from it. Okay, human ingenuity. It's man, so to speak, working in tandem with HaKadosh Baruch But who gave man that ingenuity? It's, it, it's incredible someone came up with the whole idea. You know, and, and, and that we, we take it for granted, a piece of bread. We take for granted a glass of water, which is a, a so, so imperative, you know. People, people, you know, didn't, didn't appreciate this. No same lechem, lechol basar. It's on a daily basis we witness miracles. We wake up in the morning, you know, we, we, all these things. And it's no contradiction to Shavuos because the way to get close to Hashem is through gratitude. I mentioned many times from Rav Dessler, he says, if you're not a giver, if you're not someone who sees what others have done for you, if you're not someone who looks out, what can I give to others? You're looking at others instead of yourself. Once we look at, at like a, with a, an attitude of entitlement, what can we get from Hashem? We're not going to be grat- grateful. But if we look to what can we give to you, Hashem, how can we give back to you, Hashem? I want to I want to pay back what I owe you, Hashem. That is how we're going to have. That's how we're going to have a Matan Torah. That's how we're going to have a proper Shavuos. But it starts with gratitude for the smallest thing. And we, we take it for granted. Or Victor Miller says, the Shah HaBachina, in Chavis HaLavavas, there's several chapters talking about, you know, different things to focus on. Shah HaBachina is the whole Shah, a whole chapter talking about, like, noticing all the wonderful gifts we have in creation, the colors, the, the taste, the smells, all the things we have that we're blessed with. That's, that's a Jewish attitude, you know. To, to, to look at all those those beautiful things that we're, we're blessed with. And yet, the next shar is shar havoida. Now you think, first thing to be a firm Jew is first serve Hashem and then notice all the good things. No, you can't. He says it's in that order on purpose. You can't serve Hashem if, until you first notice what he's doing for you. That's how we build up a relationship. How do we revere our parents? How do we revere anybody? We've noticed what they've done for us. You know, somebody, the more they done, have done for us, the more the gratitude grows. And here, there's this invisible being called Hashem, giving us day and night, feeding us, sustaining us, doing all kinds of things for us. And, and, and we, we should be feeling, I owe you. So what does Avaitis Hashem mean? The payback. I owe you. I owe you everything. You've given me everything. I owe you everything. And it starts with the Omer. It starts with the Omer. And we have so many ways that we can visualize this as well, not just in food. This is usually the springtime. Okay, we had a little bit of tricks here with the weather. But basically, we do see all of a sudden the sky is blue. How about that? We see buds on the trees. We see all kinds of things showing us, and it's growing by the day. Everything's growing by the day. That is the idea of the omer, the crops starting to grow. The, 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 the nature is about to reveal itself in its full glory. We hear birds you know, where there's so many things, beautiful things we should focus on. The son of the Rambam, Ravam ben Rambam, said the way to get Amuna is to contemplate creation. And we should be, every day when we say Maidim, for example, think of something. If we can't think of anything obvious, which there are many obvious things every day in our day that we could be grateful for, that we should think of, let's think of something just even a creation. And, and, and the miracle of the eye, of anything that we, we possess, all those things that we have we're fortunate enough to have in our lives we can we can uh we can use we can grow on we can grow with the uh you know there is shammai said says rav victor miller shammai was the man of truth 
And when the gear came to him and told me, teach the Torah in one foot, he says, come on, you think the Torah is like a freebie? You just have to do one thing, you'll get the Torah. Hillel understood, he's, just, he's more focusing on what's the main thing. The main feature is what you don't want to do, don't do to your friend. That means think about what you owe. If you gave something to your friend, wouldn't you want to be paid back? We have to, we, we're not doing it because Hashem is looking for payback, but we should want the payback because by paying back, we're showing we owe you. We appreciate what we've been given. We're not taking it for granted. And then those dark days that we have. The dark days are to get us to Olam Haba. You know, there's, uh, you, know, the, the, you know, even during Shiva, and this Bitochan hotline keeps talking about it, but in the Shiva, he says a person in our generation, we have to focus on Simcha. People, we've never been so uh, endowed with so much in our generation, and yet we can't handle very, when things are taken away, we can't handle the least amount of, of deprivation, you know, but we still have so much more than any other time in history. Find that, um, they say about Reverend Victor Miller, once a, a close relative went to see him being Menachem Avel during Shiva. And um, he said to him, Rebbe, you know, I see there's nobody here right now at the house. It was a brother of his, it was Nephthar. And, you know, it was a certain time in the day where nobody was there. And he said, you want me to stay? I could stay. There's no one here now. Maybe you need me to stay with you. Or Victor Miller says, no, I have a lot of thinking to do. He said, what are you thinking about? He says, I've been thinking about all the things, all the things that Hashem has done throughout history, and now I'm in the middle of the Spanish Inquisition. So, in other words, he was going to go through the Shiva throughout the entire course of history and recount all the things that Hashem has done for his forefathers. There's so much that we could be grateful for, and then Olam Haba on top of it, and yet we tend to focus on the negative. Now, that doesn't mean we're supposed to be happy at every given moment. Shimshim Pincus brings down from the Briskarov, or Velvel, the Chronicle of Racha. There's a piut called Kesser Malchus, written by Rav Shimon Ibn Gabriel. And it says, Im avoni, if you're going to count my sins, mimcha I will run away from you to you. What does that mean? If you're going to start counting my sins, I'm going to run away from you to you. By the way, if I'm talking too fast because I don't see faces, whether they're absorbing or not, please just say it something. If somebody, whoever has a computer, please just tell me if I'm speaking too quickly. I'm, um, it feels different not speaking in front of a group. But in any case, the Briskers have a Masora that at any given moment, there are two feelings going on. When we are in a state of deprivation, okay, when we're missing something, there's two feelings going on. One is, I'm scared. It's because of my vera. Okay, she says, we're doing great. Okay, fine. I just hope I'm not talking too bad. Any case, he said, if you're going to count my sins, like in other words, you're going to punish me for something I deserve. I want punishment in this world, so I won't get it in the world to come. If you're going to do it, there's two feelings going on. You should be afraid. You should be afraid. It's normal to have fear, but you should know you're in your father's arms. Those two feelings go on simultaneously. In fact, the briskers used to drum it in, says Rav Shimshon They would say in times of war, they're going to kill us, but Hashem is holding me. They're going to kill us. Like to escape it altogether is not bitachon. People tend to want to escape 
somebody was saying a remarkable situation, which I think is true for many people. People say, you know, they just use their computer for basic things. And now people, the computer is one of these, the, this thing that you're not supposed to be near. It's, 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 it's got such tumma on it. It's got so much waste of time on it. And yet some people, it, it, which is uh, incredible, during a time when we're supposed to be looking to do tshuva, because obviously there's something Hashem wants us to do. We have to make certain Kabbalists. We have to make certain changes. This is why this unique time has happened to us. We tend to want to escape. And as Americans, they're into pastime of, you know, being entertained. And people run more to their computer, which is unfortunate what's happening in this today's day and, you know, today. Any case, tefillah definitely can help everything. Tefillah and bitachon can take everything away. But to not feel initially some type of worry, that's not a balbitachan. That's not a balbitachan. Balbitachan feels something, but then immediately he remembers he's been working on himself or herself so much that they realize, wait a minute, I've been taken care of my whole life, have I not? Hashem has been with me through the ups and the downs. I'm still here. And if God forbid I'm not supposed to be here, that's Hashem's decision because I wasn't here to begin with. He put me here. He gave me life. We complain this life, what kind of life is it? But we didn't, but we want to live. Everyone wants to live. That's the ultimate deepest feeling in, a, in a, the heart of a person is they want to live. They want to be alive. They're grateful for being alive. So obviously there's benefits of being alive and we're here to serve Hashem through gratitude. And that's what we have to instill in ourselves and work on ourselves because that helps us have more amuna and more bitachon. And, and, but, but you're supposed to feel some type of fear. That's normal. But what do we do with the fear? I heard something incredible late last night. I was listening to that Bitochan hotline. And he said that uh, a teacher called in that teaches high school girls. And she said that she teaches a class of 16 somewhere or other. And she asked them, girls, I want an honest opinion. How many of you feel that when you do something wrong, that Hashem still loves you? And all 16 of the girls say they don't feel that, that Hashem still loves them. Think Hashem hates them or Hashem is angry at them. That's what we have to work on. To work on that Hashem loves us no matter what. Kisheva yipoltzadik become says in Kohelas. A person falls seven times and stands up. We have to believe that we, we really are loved. We can make mistakes. Hashem still gives us opportunities. He knows we're human and he loves us anyways. And we, we don't always feel, you know, the feeling of bitachon. We don't always feel that feeling. But the feeling of basic contentment is what we're trying to work for. So it's for our benefit, Happy Tuchman, because we really can't turn to anybody. There's no one person that can give us everything we need besides Hashem. And sometimes the people we need, look at these people, Nebuch, that had to suffer in hospitals at the, until their last day with this coronavirus. They did not have anybody around them. They couldn't, all the family, the great, all the family members that would love and adore them, worrying about them, caring about them, they're locked in a room that they can't get out. They're not in there with, with, with family members. There's only ultimately, ultimately only Hashem. The, um, Chaim Pinchas Scheinberg, Tzvaran brings down from a medrash that in the world to come, there's different rooms rewarding people that studied Torah, rewarding people that were great in tefillah, but the highest room is those that worked on their Muna Bitachan. Because that is the most difficult. It, it's on a daily basis, on a minute-to-minute basis, and it's something that we can all internalize. And this is the message of Shemitah. 
The message of Shemitah is we don't see it. If things are hidden. We don't feel anything. We just have to keep quiet, you know, prodding along, doing what we have to do, and develop this inner relationship with Hashem to show the gratitude to Hashem of everything that we have, that we're all lucky and we're all healthy here, and that we, you know, this world, in fact, what we have right now is demonstrating to us how the world is transient and how we took so much for granted. You know, they said they took, I heard somewhere that they took some kind of um, um, quiz of people, a poll. They took a people on the street and they said, what do you want to do when this whole coronavirus ends? 45% of people said the first thing we want to do is give someone a hug. You know, that, that human contact, how much we really crave it and need it. You know, and all the things, you know, we took our freedom for granted. We're just going along our merry way. Same thing about this world. This world is temporary. Let's make the best of it because this is a claim of Eltala. You know, uh, we're supposed to appreciate food, but there's people like, let's say, like Rebaran Cutler, Zahran Lebracha, was a person who just realized how temporary this world was. So one time his wife made him supper. Every night she'd give him sometime a, a dessert, kampat. And um, he once told her, we had kampat? No, no, she gave him kampat and he asked, do we have the meal already? That's how, how much he was into this world. He was into doing mitzvahs and serving Hashem and learning Torah. So he didn't even notice he had supper. She says, you must be hungry if you didn't notice that you had supper. And he says, no, no, no. He used to say before he ate, lomer up patrin demesin. Let's get, get it over with. Let's get the eating over with. Of course, he appreciated it, looked at the beauty of the colors of the food and the things of the food. But at the same time, he turned it into a connection with Hashem. And that was the main thing to him. Say about his wife, Rabchana Peril Cutler. She was, the, the kids said about her that she was more of the mechanic in the family than he was. A child, she bought a child a bike once, maybe after Kaiman, whatever it was, and she told him, You like the new bike? Child said, Yeah, I love the new bike. She says, Ilamazez garnished. <laughs> she told him after she gave him a bicycle, Ilamazez, nothing. She says, it, 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 You know, the greatest thing is Tyra. Tyra is the greatest Tyra. Tyra is the best thing. That's what she would tell him, you know, to, to show that this world, on one hand, it's here to us to see that there's a God, to appreciate it, to contemplate it, but let's make the relationship. And from there, we'll, we won't be lacking because if we have us and Hashem and we know Hashem loves us, then we will be able to continue and go forward with serving Hashem with Parshas Ahar. Now, let's turn to Halega Rebbe Shimon. Eliga Rebbe Shimon, Lad Ba'imer. I saw this in the Eitzra Satira, brought down from the Nachlas Abbas. Let's just say some basic ideas about Rebbe Shimon. And here they are. Rebbe Shimon's father's name was Yochai, obviously. And the Yochai family were childless for many years. He was an only child. After 10 years, a person can divorce their wife. Now, he didn't know that she was the cause, but... We're going to see in a minute that she was the reason why they were childless. Now, I don't think that applies the husband can't have children. I mean, but I, I guess the wife could, could want out also, but he should not have a mitzvah period of Arivia. But if it's the wife's problem, then technically speaking, after 10 years, a person can divorce their wife. So she was davening, davening, davening to have children and to remain with her husband. The night of Rosh Hashanah on the 10th year, Yochai has a dream. He sees a, an orchard. He sees a bunch of fruit trees and trees all together, and many are barren, and there's a few fruit-bearing trees in this orchard. 
and he sees a big hand come with a watering can watering some of the trees and not all. And he's leaning on a barren tree and he says to himself, is someone going to water my tree? And this hand stretches out and comes to his tree as well. He goes to Rabbi Akiva, his Rebbe. Not bad for your Rebbe. Check out your dreams. And he asks Rebbe Akiva's Rebbe, what does this dream mean? And he says, your wife naturally should not be able to bear children, but her tefillos, her tears, watered what was, tefillah can make miracles. And in the merit of her tears, there's a cup full of her tears in Shemaim, and it watered your tree. So Rav Shimon Bar Yechai was a Tana. He was one of those five Talmidim that Rabbi Akiva ordained after the 24,000 were Nifter. And they were once Rabbi Akiva and, um, sorry, Rabbi Huda, Rabbi Yassi, and he were once talking to him. And Rabbi Huda says, we have to appreciate the Roman government. Look what they built, beautiful streets for us and bathhouses, etc." Rabbi Yossi was silent. Rabbi Shimon Bar Yechai, who was the Kanai of the group, he said, what do you mean? They're selfish. They're doing it for themselves. Unfortunately, though, the government heard. There is such a thing. This is, again, a lesson for us in Corona times. You know, people want to do certain things. They have to make sure, you know, even if we think it's healthy, if it's, be, if it's going against the law, we have to be very, very careful because it causes people to hate us. And that's why a lot of laws were made for example, with shuls, they closed shuls. Really, technically speaking, if people were careful, what's wrong? What's the what's the difference going to shul and going to the supermarket? You know, if they were ten feet apart, wearing masks, everything else. But Mishum Eva, most of the postman today, made this gazera. You know that we should close the shuls because that later on all the goyim are going to blame us, which they're already doing in many cities for other reasons. You know, we have to be very, very vigilant and careful that we don't cause people to hate us. Anyways, Sir Shimon, in his innocence, we learned that. That's why you should be careful speaking Lashon Hara about Goyim, where it can be heard, even though it's not Usr, like it is speaking about a Yid. We still have to be very careful. Anyways, Sir Yehuda ben Gerim was this person, wasn't so nice. He leaked it to somebody, what Rav Shimon said, and just not to the government. He just leaked it to someone. It got back to, Rabbi, to, to the government. First, they elevated Rabbi Yehuda. Rabbi Shimon had to become a fugitive. Initially, he ran to the base Medrash with his son, Rebelezer. He needed him because you needed Chavrusa, uh, and also he can do Kibra Ve'em, and he needed to teach Torah to him. And after, so he was, his wife brought them food. At one point, he saw it was becoming a danger. He didn't want to put his wife's life in danger by, you know, them searching a house and torturing her to find her. So he even didn't tell his wife, and he ran into the, to Meron, to the caves, to stay there for 12 years. There's a carob tree growing there, Haruvim, you know, Buxer. And, uh, you know, Buxer is like, um, it tastes very similar to cocoa beans, but cocoa beans themselves are a little bit bitter. So don't think you have this great life. Who could live? You know, these people have these celery juice diets for like a week and they're already going crazy or any kind of these crazy diets. The, um, you're eating Buxer for 12 years straight and drinking from a stream in the cave. It's still quite mysterious nefesh, you know, that he lived like there. But despite that, learning Torah day and night, despite all his problems. Now, Rav Shimon felt thinking ahead. He didn't know how long this would last. He was worried he needs clothes for davening. So he dug a hole in the sand for him and Rav Lazar. They took off their clothes in the sand, and they, they, they learned Torah day and night without their clothes on in the sand. And um, 
they put on their clothes just for davening. We learned from this the covet that Rav Shimon had for davening. And we're supposed to approach davening, you know, the way we dress. You know, there was this book, Voices in the Silence, years ago, written by this Russian lady that uh, survived, you know, Russia and tyranny, keeping Shabbos and everything. Haliga mentioned that gave up so much, really had challenges in her life. And she would always put on makeup and earrings and everything before she would daven. Abel always says it's halach in the morning. Uh, you're supposed to rinse out your mouth before you daven. Your mouth shouldn't be dirty and disgusting when you're going to utter words to your creator. The, uh, you know, so we should try to the best of our opinion. Rav Chaim Kanyevsky has a psak. I don't know if everyone goes by this, but the, he says it's better to daven b'echidus than to, with a hat and jacket than to daven without a hat and jacket for a man, obviously. But um, we have to really think how we're davening. You know, say a bracha, you know, like, I don't know if you have a makbid you could say, but some people are very, very makbid. There are people who put on hats just to make a bracha, you know, on anything. Uh, for definitely things like Havdalah and Kiddush and, and whatever, we should be more dressed up than casual, um, for a man, that is, you know. Um, there's, uh, you know, benching is derisa. That's very important to be proper. For benching, by the way, there's a halacha. You're supposed to be totally dressed. Like, let's say if you make a shahakol in your house, technically speaking, you could be near a swimming pool and you could have your bare legs if there's no men around, you know, to make a shahakol. Of course, your hands have to be clean before you're making a, a bracha, and that's another story. But if you're going to be benching or shmona esrei, you have to have put on even knee highs. Your ankles can't be exposed. I mean, you can't see your feet. I mean, again, you're allowed to wear sandals if you have stockings underneath, but um, your legs can't be exposed if, if you're going to be uh, benching or saying shmona esrei because you have to have covet for davening. Navardic wanted to show covet for the time. In Navardic, they had a thing where the whole community would get up in the middle of the night for five minutes to learn, and then they'd go back to sleep to show how you should use every minute, just to teach the value of time. You know, it's, it's very important that we should honor time, that we should honor tefillah, and this is something we could learn. That's why Rav Shimon was so unusual, because, look, there are people, look at Rabbi Akiva, he was Rav Shimon's Rebbe. Are we saying he's the greatest ever lived? What was unique about Rav Shimon? What was unique about uh, after wait? What was unique about Rav Shimon is that when he came out of his cave after 12 years, he heard Elio Navi and hinted that you know the time was up. He sees people plowing and planting, and he says, "People are working for a living. It's just me and Hashem. He's on such a madrega bitachan and amuna that he couldn't believe people made a parnasa. Hashem says, "Rav Shimon, you have to go back into the cave for another year." And learn to be milamets chus on human beings. So he, uh, you know, after a year, he, he saw a bird fly up above, and he heard voices saying the bird should be killed. And he saw every bird he thought that should be killed would drop down. So he knew there was, Shem was communicating him from Shemaim, was a baskal. He said, all right, now is my time to go out of the cave. The his son-in-law was Rav Pinchas Ben Yair, which is pretty unique. Pinchas Ben Yair went to the mikvah with him uh, the week after he returned, and he sees that his father-in-law's skin was like all, you know, it's like abrasive, like sand is like, you know, when people um, want to uh, do these abrasive things to their skin, uh, like exfoliate before they put on cream. 
uh, you know, he was, it said he, that Rav Pinchas Ben Yair was putting on cream on himself after the mikvah. So there was, even in those days, an idea of moisturizer. And he sees his father's skin is horrible. And he says, oh, he said, I should see you like this. He's such a state. He says, Ashrecha Shereisa of Zibakach. Ashrecha, you were fortunate that you saw me suffer. What's unique about Rav Shimon is that he was happy for the sake of Hashem to suffer for the sake of learning Torah. Now, I'm sh- I don't know if he was initially happy. Again, like we said, a person has feelings. He has double feelings in everything that he does. And he didn't realize it's for Hashem. But what made him so unusual was that he was, really, we have eight weeks that were confined. He was confined for 13 years. And those 13 years of confinement, and not only that, such suffering, you know, that, that nothing to eat, no wife, no, he was sitting in, in sand all that time, all those things. And yet he persevered and served Hashem, and he was happy that he went through it. He saw that it was for his good and that he, can, he could reach high levels this way. This is what made him the Hei Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, that could be Pael Yeshua's for Klal Yisrael. Now, there's different opinions. Some people feel it's a big mitzvah to go to, you know, make a whole big deal for Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. Um, some people don't. The Hassan Seifer was saying that, you know, he felt that there was a big earthquake in 1837. And the Hassan Seifer said he felt there, an earthquake was in Tveria, which is not far from, from Iran. And he said it happened because people are giving more uh, covet to Mehran and to the north than they are to Rushalayim, which deserves the biggest covet. And he felt that, you know, we have to put it in its proper perspective. But definitely, Rav Shimon can be Pael Yeshua's. Many people say he's the Gilgal of Moshe Rabbeinu. Some people say he's the Gilgal of Achya Hashiloni, who was a, uh, a tzaddik at the time of Yeruvim ben Nevat, and there was something that Yeruvim tricked Chachamim into signing, saying that he had rights to make his own temple, because he was the king of ten tribes at the time, and all that temple had a lot of confusion, and people were, you know, he, he tricked a lot of people, Yeruvim ben Nevat, because of covet that he wanted. And um, Achia Shaloni, because he signed this, had to come back in the Gilgal of Rav Shimon Bar Yochai. Some people say Rav Shimon Bar Yochai was Moshe because he got to live in Eretz Yisrael, Moshe didn't. And now we're happy at his patira, whereas by Moshe people fast. Why? Because Moshe either didn't live, didn't merit to live in Eretz Yisrael, whereas Rav Shimon Bar did. And also Rav Shimon was mocked that people should be happy when he passes, because he says now he's going to the real world, the world of all the good. Uh, Moshe Rabbeinu not only didn't get to see Eretz Yisrael, but some Torah was forgotten in his time after he was Nifter. Bar Shem Bar Torah was brought to the world, the Zohar. The reason we make the fires on Lag Ba'imer is because Rav Shimon on his last day of earth revealed the whole Zohar. And the sun didn't set on time because he kept going and going and going and revealing more hidden Torah, the Zohar, which he wrote. And then he was Nifter. So we celebrate that great revelation of the Zohar on the last day of Rav Shimon Bar Yochai's life. You know, Rav Yosef Karo, he had promised for B'nai Israel, he did hakafas with Lulav and Esther by the cave of Shimon Bar Yochai several times. And I don't know if you heard, Rav Gamliel Rabinovich did that this year. He went to Meiron and with a Lulav and Esther, and this was after Sukkot, there's some Kabbalistic thing to do that. And somehow, however, Rav Shimon is going to be helping us. 
Um, according to the Hassan Cipher, the month fell on Lagba Omer. Most of the people had already, the, the dying stopped of the 24,000. Um, and also the, 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 the greatness of the Tyra of Shimon Bar Yochai. So that's why we celebrate this great Lagba Omer. So it's something really for us in quarantine to think about, you know, about how we should still be positive with everything we have. How Rav Shimon Bar Yochai was the fugitive. He was the fugitive that was stuck in his house. He had to self-isolate, even from his family, and except for one son. And, you know, these high levels of bitachen is what is going to get us, you know, our island haba. You know, this is, this is what we have to focus on. We need this time of year counting up to receive the Torah, to get this intimate relationship with Hashem. And it's all going to come through appreciation, for realizing you don't always see it in this world. So we should focus on what, what's going to happen and how good things are going to be. We just roll with the punches. We make the lemons out of lemonade. And we just keep going and realize that this world is not the main world that we have to focus on. We have to have the bitachan of Bahar Sinai, like just we'll have enough. Hashem is always going to give us what we need. And even when things are difficult, all that happens is we get more schar. I heard something also on this Pitachanat language was beautiful. They said, like, look how many tzaddikim we lost recently. And all these people didn't get proper levayas that they would have gotten had we all been out there attending their levayas. But we instead, why did they go through such suffering? So they, there are people, they said, they said about Shimshim Pincus, some of the tzaddikim in the time when he was nifter, and he was a man, he could have been the next Gadol Hador, and he died in the prime of his life and in such a horrific way in a, in a car crash. So some of the Gedolim at that time, when they were masked him, they said that Gedolim sometimes feel like there's a little tick in they need of not getting too much covet in this world. They feel like people won't give me covet at my Leviath. They won't give me covet. And that way I will be able to have that correction, that tick and that cleansing of my neshama that I need, and I'll get a bit, bigger Olam Haba. I'll sacrifice that in order to get a big, bigger Olam Haba than I would have gotten had I just been had given this huge Leviah. So everything that goes wrong, and even when we do have things wrong, that's Hashem's way of telling us, I want to give you more schar. I want to give you more schar. And, and, every, you know, and we're all going through something now. Everybody, everything's intensified because of the hardship that people are going through. Everyone sees it in different ways. And we all realize these are opportunities for growth to remind us that life is temporary. We'll get more schar for doing this, and then we'll have a closer relationship with Hashem. I thank you for listening.